RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. All right, time for our other political panel this uh, Monday morning. I want to welcome Roe Edge, Bob McCroskey, and our own Marty Gibson to this panel. How are we feeling this morning, folks? Surprisingly really? good. <laughs> Better. Bob? Better. <laughs> did did the chips fall as you thought they would? Well, I made some predictions on uh, Friday, which I put on Twitter. Um, I got uh, correct that the Green Party wouldn't do as well, although if you watched their um, uh, speeches on uh, Saturday <laughs> night, you'd think they'd won the US presidency. Um, they were oh, very excited. No. I, think ridiculous. I actually wondered <laughs> if we'd had another. I wondered if we'd had another cannabis referendum, and the yes vote had come. Been smoking, smoking it up large. Yeah, they were. They were so excited, but I mean, the media played out that they had a fantastic night. Sure, they won some electorates, uh, but actually, their vote collapsed from polling of around 15 percent to ten percent. So I actually think okay. deep down they'll be disappointed. Um, yeah, I thought the Labour vote might slightly drop as well. I just did some stats actually before I came on team and I just had a look at some of the very favourable Labour seats like Mangari, Manarewa, Panmua, Odahu, Takanini, Te Aratu, uh, which are mainly South Auckland and one in West Auckland. And I had a look at the voter turnout. Uh, and just to give you an idea, basically in all those seats, a third of the voters that turned up in 2020 didn't turn up on Saturday. Oh, okay. Labour vote. So, yes. And that was one of the predictions that I made was that the Pacifica vote was going to stay home. And um, I think and I made it. what was the right reasoning you gave for that, Bob? Why, why did you decide that they would be staying home? Well, it happened, uh, the last time it happened was in 2008 when uh, Helen Clark uh, was voted out. And because of basically uh, nanny state, anti smacking law, shower pressure, all those types of things. And the Pacifica vote just really did not want to vote for all the social engineering that was going on, but they don't vote for other parties, so they just stay home. And I think that that's the mentality that they had for Saturday. They didn't want to vote for Labour. They didn't want to vote for another party, so they stayed home. Uh, but uh, Labour put in an effort to campaign in those areas, didn't they? They were at the markets and all, all those sorts of places. Yep, and obviously it was falling on deaf ears. Um, you know, in 2005, when Don Brash just got defeated by Helen Clark, everybody thought Don Brash was going to win. And then suddenly all the South Auckland seats came in and Helen Clark got through by a seat um, in, in that year. So that South Auckland vote is crucial for uh, Labour and um, a third of it didn't show up. And so that, that dented them even further than they already were. Road? You know, they did oh, campaign. Sorry. But, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I mean, the way I've put it before is there were just too many turds and they ran out of glitter. Uh, they, they, <laughs> you know, how can you dress it up? I mean, and, and you know, they were, they were reduced to just telling barefaced lies. And that does work on a segment of the population. Another data point that always just, well, it, it intrigues me, but it terrifies me is that one out of the States where. Uh, 30% of registered Democrats thought that people who refuse to get vaxxed should have their children taken off them. And and that mentality exists in our electorate. And we've been blind, you know, to that sort of pathology that's around us. Was that uh, glitter analogy from the Zoolander movie? 
oh, I can't remember. I mean, I've worked in PR. <laughs> I, I selling selling turns to the Queen or something, star. wrapped in glitter. Okay, sorry, Ro, your turn now. Yeah, look, I think um, it was it was it was a really good win over the weekend for the right, but I think it was also a win for tribal politics no longer being such a factor in deciding elections now. You know, we've got a large percentage of the population who are no longer tribal or who will not vote for their party if they don't agree with them. And I think that's actually really good for democracy because it means incoming governments now are on notice that if they don't perform, they're gone burger. You know, the public are not going to tolerate them and just vote because that's the way they've always voted before. And I think that's a really positive thing. But I think, yeah, you know, Chris Hipkins really summed up his campaign in that last debate when he had a go at, you know, Sam Uffendale for something he did when he was 16 years old. Like that was just the most horrendous comment. And I think Desperate, right? That, Desperation. Like, that, that's all he had. You know, they had nothing to campaign on, no no wins that, you know, that they'd, they'd achieved in government. So that's what he had to resort to. And I think that pretty much sums up their campaign. Let's talk about the campaigns. Um, anything stand out campaign-wise for any of the parties, for any of our panellists? Well, I, I was frustrated at National's nice campaign, how they, you know, they had probably more opportunity than any other opposition party ever to have a go at the lack of delivery of the government. And they just didn't. They just decided to play straight and clean and down the middle and be positive. And it, it did my head in because I thought, why aren't you taking advantage of this? But, you know, maybe there was a you know, method to their strategy and it actually worked. Um, I think ACT really butchered their campaign. We talked about that last time, but they'll still be really happy with the results. You know, they're nine, it's over 9%, I think, isn't it, at the moment? So they'll still be happy. Winston had a screamer. Like, it was just an awesome campaign, yeah. completely. You know, he made us laugh. Like, God, those Shane Jones TikTok videos, I showed those to so many people. To laugh in this election campaign was really, really refreshing because there was so much negativity around. And I think we saw that in their vote. I think they might be a bit disappointed. Maybe they were hoping for more, but still from nothing to six point, what are they, about 6.5%? I think rounded off, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. bloody amazing. Great base to build on too. Yep, exactly. Mm. Uh, I know, think the one thing that I want to say though is that National weren't just fighting the left. They're also fighting the media. It was almost like the media was another political party opposed to them. So they did really, really well just, you know, negating all that negativity from them. But we saw just how out of touch the media were. I don't know if you guys saw the Tover O'Brien poll um, column, sorry, yesterday. She wrote, no. this, she wrote this column and it just demonstrated how disconnected they were from everyday Kiwis because she said that no one saw this election result coming. Really? Like, seriously? <laughs> like, how like disconnected can you be? But, you know, that pretty much sums up our mainstream media these Do days. Do you think that's just a clickbait? She must must. I don't know. I mean, I honestly, they they yeah. live in their own little echo yeah, chamber now, don't they? No, I think mm. the worst one was, um, oh, who was it by, that she said the democratic system is broken. Also a stuff reporter. Um, Michael Roberts. Ah, Paula Penfold. Paula Penfold. Yeah. Yeah. Sunday on Sunday morning said the democratic system is broken. I bet she wouldn't have published that if uh, Labour had won. Uh, just They're just not reading the room. It's incredible. Well, that's, a, that's an emerging trope, isn't it, that democracy isn't working? And How could it be broken? Did it, was any evidence cited? <laughs> oh, well, uh, the, the on YouTube, there, oh. the there was a lady, Dita, somebody who's an MBR oh. journalist. And she yeah, Dita Deboni, a former yeah. colleague of mine. I yeah, I just saw yeah. a little bit on Twitter, and she basically said that National bought the election. Money brought the election. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm. this is the depths they're going to. You would say that. I know. Yeah. 
And it's um, incredible, isn't it, that they can say that and they they ignore completely the effect that having a, a, such a severely left-biased media has in terms of buying an election and the effect of, of having borrowed over $100 billion and just sprayed it around the place has on buying an election. Well, have you seen the, the latest uh, Thomas Kramner piece about the funding or the, the advertising expenditure yeah, pre-funding of advertising. Pre-funding to, help, to keep yeah. them yeah. literally afloat. I mean, crikey, man. That yeah. is something this incoming government needs to deal with. You know, if the media can't survive, they don't deserve to survive. And new media, like you guys, will will take their place. But we can't just keep funding this absolute... Well, no wonder they, yeah. they said what they said, the media, because their future literally depended upon it. There, there yeah. was a little element of I, for one, welcome our new insect overlords um, from the media. There was a real sudden softening of tone towards national. Um, that's an allusion to a, an episode of The Simpsons where the, it's ta- the Springfield's taken over by aliens, or they think it is, and um, yeah, the, the newsreader just suddenly, I, for one, welcome our new insect overlords. Well, when you realise that the, the thing's flipped, right, you, you sort of go with the... The new Where the funding might come from. The new funding, yeah. In terms of uh, campaigns, I thought probably uh, one of the stronger ones was uh, New Zealand First because it wasn't actually lots of bylines and clever memes, etc. It was just constant photos of large gatherings uh, coming to hear Winston speak, which was you know kind of unique. There seemed to be this inertia of people rather than just slogans. Uh, in terms of the worst campaign, I'm with you, Ro. I think the worst campaign was by the media because I did uh, treat them as a third-party promoter. Uh, and, you know, they just kept pushing the divide. They pushed the racial divide. They tried to make out that there was, you know, uh, all this racism going on, despite the fact that the Te Party Māori did very well, uh, even exceeding their expectations. There's now Parliament is represented by 20% Māori which is actually disproportionately higher than their population representation. So it sounds like uh, racism isn't as rife as the media is making out. Overrepresented, you could say. Overrepresented. Yeah. And uh, the other thing is that I was really disappointed in the debates because I always get the feeling that it's just it just turns into a slugfest of best quips and one-liners and shouting over each other. And I really wish that we could just put each leader in a booth turn their mic on when we want them to say something and then turn it off. Well, so I think that, we that, actually... that that comes down, Bob, to the moderator. And yeah. if a moderator knows what they're doing and has a mature attitude to it and is seeking to run a debate and not a game show, then it will be a debate. Although it still comes down to the leaders, because I don't know if you remember Fox News held a debate between Hillary Clinton and uh, Donald Trump uh, back in you know um, in that election, and uh, and it just became a shouting fest over each other, and and the moderator couldn't control it. Well, okay. So I, I think um, you know one of the things was that we did an interview with David Seymour, and you know as I said previously, told you it was viewed by about seventy thousand. I people. saw it. Yeah. And and it was simply because we let him speak and allowed him to dig his own hole. Um, and and I think, um, you know, ACT will also, like the Greens, be disappointed. I mean, they, at some stages, they were polling around 15 16%, and then they were just on a downward trajectory for the last two weeks of the how, campaign. How do we explain that? Because that's a quite a 
downward trajectory that you just mentioned there. Uh, because he revealed points. his true nature to a whole lot of social conservatives who were thinking of voting for him is my argument. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think he got sent after Winston Peters, um, particularly some of the candidates that were coming through who were calling for a stiffer uh, COVID inquiry with broader terms of reference as well. I mean, that's my suspicion because it was counter to his interests and what was working for him. He was doing really well when he was outlining sensible policy. And there's a lot of act policy that's really sensible, but yeah, I just can't get alongside them on their enthusiasm for mandatory experiments. He, he seemed to get quite defensive in situations and sort of, you know, ran a defensive sort of attitude to questioning. Did you find that, Bob, when you were doing your... <laughs> he really did. Your, your... Uh, with uh, David Seymour. Yeah, yeah. He uh, sort of kind of gets defensive and puts up a, a, a bit, bit of a wall, you know? Well, he was uh, condescending to us and uh, basically calling a, calling me a liar for stating things like National had helped him in the Epsom seat over previous elections and uh, just asking questions about, for example, what was his views around expansion of euthanasia law. He was just hostile told me off for smiling and lying at the same time. I mean, he didn't win or influence any social conservatives in that interview, and I think uh, he lost a number of percent because of that one interview. But yeah, social... Think, oh, sorry, bro. It's a case of attack being the best form of defence when you have no defence, right? Yeah. We yeah. see that from politicians when they, they've got nothing good to say or yeah, no, no good argument, they just go on attack, and that's exactly what David did in that interview. Mm. And uh, his colleague, Brooke... Did uh, very well um, in her seat. Um, she's one to watch, isn't she? Yeah, she's a very talented, well-spoken, measured young woman. I think she's yeah. going to be exceptional in the future. I'm sure Bob will join me in thinking it's just a shame she edged out one of the only outspoken social conservatives yeah. in the national court. I was just about to mention that, yeah. Maybe not accidentally. Oh, no, it was a deliberate hit job by ACT, and it shows um, ACT's lack of social conservatism that they would do that in return as a thank you for uh, what National has done for ACT and Epsom. I, I thought it was shocking tactics, um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm gutted. It was the low point of uh, Saturday night was Simon O'Connor losing his seat because he's been one of the good ones. Yeah, I do like Simon too, and he's been a big free speech advocate as well over many yep. years. So He's got to go. You can't have that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know, like on our Save Women Sport fight, that you know Simon was always someone I went to if I if I thought that I could get somewhere with National, I would go yeah. through Simon to see if I could get some progress because he always responded, always advocated. Well, let's stay on that road. Do you think you will make some progress with this this new government in that area? I think that will depend on how the special votes come in and how much influence Winston has in the new government. I do think that if National want a three-term government, they need to bring Winston in now, irrelevant of what the final result is, so that they can have a really stable one, and then they can all fight the left woke identity politics, all of the, you know, the envy taxes, soft on crime crap. But um, I'm I'm nervous if it's just National and Act. Act David Seymour did say that he would push for a. Um, looking into reassessing whether the sex self-ID laws are working and what the impact is having. Because, you well, know, how do you know if they're working or not? I mean, yeah, well, I don't know. What's they, working they, they said they were going, the Labor government said they'd do a review on it in five years' time, but they're not keeping any data on any of the experiences women are having. You know, we're just, women were just ignored with that whole sex self-ID legislation. It's going to be interesting. I think in education you'll see the gender ideology wound back 
in terms of what's being delivered now. And hopefully Inside Out goes out of our schools because they shouldn't be in there indoctrinating kids and converting them with yeah, medical... With the patron St. John Money, who, who's the pedophile academic out of Victoria University that no one likes talking about, or the other pedophile academics that are the root of that. You know, Ro, I've been interested in um, running a theory uh, by you about why we're only allowed to talk about um, uh, gender dysphoria as a brave, natural thing. I've got a suspicion that it's so we don't start talking about how xenoestrogens are messing with our endocrine systems and tanking our fertility. Well, could well something's be. tanking it. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing I'd add to what you said was um, Cam Slater makes the point well that um, a great reason for uh, National to bring Winston inside the tent is so they can have a good, robust conversation with Māori and start unwinding some of this division that's been... Uh, on the previous panel, we had, um, you know, Morris and um, and uh, and Cam and, uh, oh, who else was it? Um, Muriel Newman. Muriel Newman and, yeah. and we touched on Māori seats, and we just talked about it before. Their time has come, right? Well, John Tamahiri is publicly saying if they have a referendum on co-governance, there's going to be violence and um, and it will shut down our major cities. You know, so so I think before we get to that, we're we're gonna to have to take some heat out of it by actually discuss, you know, poking our heads above the parapets we've been locked in and, and having a, an actual discussion about what we've got in common rather than regarding each other as different species. So, so it might be too dangerous to think about winding up those seats. I, I wouldn't do it right away, no. That's interesting. They've just had a similar vote in Australia, and uh, they're still trying to find a fight that actually happened, in, a physical fight that happened in Australia. They uh, they had a debate. The no vote won. Uh, unity won. Um, racial division. And there was no violence. <laughs> and there was no violence. So it is possible in a grown-up country. We just need to ignore people like John Tamahiri, who's trying to heat up the issue simply to shut down the debate. Okay. I think fr from our side, it's vital that that uh, ordinary New Zealanders, Māori and non-Māori, uh, don't fall prey to saying inflammatory things that, that make things worse. And we start, uh, I guess, talking to each other through this uh, government uh, intermediary that's grown between us like a cancer Um and you know, I mean, you can you can hear what um, what certainly people from the Maori Party are saying. You know, this uh, I was watching that interview with uh, Takuta Ferris, um, who's a new MP for them, saying our people are on their feet. Young people are educated; they're aware of why and how inequities exist. And it is the job of Te Party Maori to continue to educate our people so they can all move together to build into uh, um, our people an ability to stand up and be present when elections come around. So he's talking about Māori like they're a school of kahawai. And, you know, when it sounds good saying they're educated, he doesn't mean they're educated. He means they're indoctrinated in this neo-Marxist uh, set of ideas. Because to lose the seats is to basically lose to party Māori pretty well now, isn't it? And, boy, they're not going to go quietly, will, will they? Well, they'd rather be King Turd of Shit Hill than um, see Māori make their own way if it doesn't involve them being in charge. Yeah, but just imagine trying to unbundle that. Well, 
Yeah, I think um, most Māori can objectively look at how their life is and realise it's gone backwards and, and you know, the the tens of billions of dollars that have been put towards Māori, you know, the trickle-down from the iwi leadership to ordinary people makes neoliberal trickle-down look like Hooker Falls. Should we talk about the economy? Because that's an issue as well. Um, can you see this new crowd, for want of a, a better term, um, and Luxon's been talking a bit about that, back on track. Can you see them working with any effect there in that area? Well, I, I definitely think we're going to see cutting cuts to government spending, and we need to, which will definitely help. Look, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. We've been left with an absolute mess by this government. So it's going to take a while for, I think, the government, to, the new government to dig us out of that hole. I don't think we're going to see anything immediately. It's going to be two to three years down the track before there's any turnaround. But, yeah, immediate cuts to government spending. And it's what's going to be interesting is how much influence ACT have over that, whether we can get rid of like the useless ministries like the Human Rights Commission and the Ministry of Pacific Affairs, what Ministry of Women's Affairs, like they've got to go. They're just bureaucracy, unnecessary. They don't achieve or, or contribute anything to society. I know that if you talk to the financial sector, I think they're predicting that uh, things are going to continue to be difficult for the next 12 months and then there may start to be a bit of a turnaround from there so uh you know that's some that's some some non-financial advice from me for um investing if you're going to invest yeah. the interest rate's going to be good for another year and then it's going to start dropping but it is, it is going to take some really disciplined spending i i there's some results coming out this week that i think uh people are already i noticed the media are already preparing us that aren't, aren't looking too good so uh, that's what you tend to find. The the new government comes in and sees just how how bad it's really been. We know it's been a bloated bloated government, um, and yeah, we're going to need some really strict spending. the The big question I think is whether National will get in there and look at the books and then say, "Look, we just can't do the tax cuts in order to stimulate the economy." Uh, that that's going to be the real interesting trade off. Wasn't it jarring to hear um, Grant Robertson? saying, oh, you know, even if you cut every PR person, all the advertising, you're still not going to get rid of the deficit like it was someone else's fault. Mm. Mm. Saying, you know, no one can promise anything. There's there's just not one like like Mm. it was someone else's fault. I do think I do think National will go through with the tax cuts, and what they'll do is, if they don't think if the books are looking a lot worse, it'll just give them the ability to implement more of X cuts in order to make those tax cuts work. I think that's the one thing that you do you definitely will see from National. If you zoom out and stop thinking about it as two parties and and, and into a uni uni sort of system, you know it it is that. Um, uh, nationalize the losses and and privatize the gains so you know we've had this time okay the debt's blown out we've got nothing to show for it now we're going to get some austerity um mm. if you're cynical which i am mm. what, yeah. what do we make of the losing party here labor it seems that the people who will be coming in on their list are the same old same old there's no renewal there there's there's just the same faces now on a list I think what's going to be interesting is what Labour take from this election and whether they think they lost because they didn't go hard enough to the left. And I think I think they're going to wrongly read it 
and do that and really start pushing in with like the Greens and Te Pāori Māori for wealth taxes, et cetera. I just, I just don't think, oh God, Megan Woods made the most hilarious comment I heard on the news last night. And they said, oh, why do you think we lost? And she said, oh, because we didn't get enough votes. Okay. Like, Seriously? Genius. Wow. <laughs> yeah, no shit, Sherlock. Yeah. <laughs> I think Jack Tame asked that really cruel question, you know, well, what's your gut telling you? I mean, you know, that's a bit insensitive. Obviously, bacon and eggs, but um, I feel kind, just not really... Um, just having contempt and not wanting to talk about labor. <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I really find just the banality of evil of that sausage roll eating diet Coke drinking guy who got told you don't have to vaccinate kids, but then thought, well, the messaging's going to get complex if we don't do that. Let's just give them KFC and encourage it. That, He's you know, a goner, isn't he? He's got to be a goner from his leadership, surely. Yeah. Who else? Who else do they put in there, well, though? Let's I think, think of a few I think, names. I think he'll stay for a bit. I think you know what Hipkins' biggest regret will be: not calling a snap election immediately after he took the leadership. Yeah, he had that was that was their only chance to win the election. And Probably he, could have won it there. I reckon he could have. I yeah, honestly do, because yeah. it, you know everyone felt like it was new and fresh, and then it, you know it just it took a few months for people to realise that. Hello, it's the same party. Yeah, he, he got a bump, <laughs> well, didn't he? He got a yeah, bump. Nothing's changed. Not on, Well, it did change. He said, look, everything I've been doing for the past five years is crap. We're not going to do it. And it was interesting to see Shane Tapoe on TV, who's been writing, Marie and I on Media Matters have been speculating on who's writing a few people's columns because they changed in the last month before the election. And you thought, you're not writing that. But he was very keen on Labour and what they were doing. And then the next day just starts getting back to the natural attitude of Māori to small, effeminate ginger men and just started sledging them. I think the problem for Labour is that they have lost some really key people like uh, Nanaya Mahuta, Michael Wood, who was you know touted as a possible leader, Phil Twyford seats hanging in the balance, although he wasn't a leader, Abraham Omer in Wellington Central. I mean, he, he was seen as an up-and-comer in the party. I mean, you know, they lost a whole lot of others, um, Tamati Coffey, uh, Anna Lork, Liz Craig. Um, they have lost a huge amount. I mean, they're decimated in terms of, of uh, um, number of MPs. So the question is, oh, and uh, Kieran McInulty, I mean, he lost his wider rapper seat. Although then again, Jacinda Ardern could never win a seat until she became the leader. So that's not necessarily a penalty, but... It, you know, it's really hard to see who is the uh, second in command because I know Grant Robertson doesn't want it. In fact, I think you'll hear Grant Robertson will be the first to step off the bus. Right. Yeah, and I'm sure that's why he went to a list MP because he thought if yeah. they lose the election, he can just step out. Yeah. You know, Kieran McNulty said that he definitely doesn't want the leadership. He's getting married. He's got he wants you know, he's got a young family. I think he said I heard him say quite clearly he doesn't want the leadership. So I mean, who else is there? Yeah. They'll be going through the same stage that National went through after 2020, won't they? They'll be this um, <laughs> picking up the pieces, and they're going to have to find a Christopher Luxon type person. But the 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 problem for Labor is that they've got no new blood uh, has come into the party. You know, Chris Lux. It's hard to believe, isn't it, team, that Christopher Luxon only got elected three years ago. The last election, he was a first term MP. I mean, it's a it's a meteoric rise. Mm -hmm. um, I just don't see that type. Is of it too quick? Is that too fast? 
Well, the argument is that actually he hasn't been polluted by politics okay. and he still has that business sense. I mean, I, I thought one really interesting comment that he made yesterday was that, uh, you know, the media were pressing him about negotiations and all that type of stuff. And he just said, look, I, you know, in my corporate roles, I have been through um, lots of negotiations, lots of business deals. They take time. They take relationship. It actually was a really great uh, comeback, and it gave you a little bit of confidence that he knows how to sort of do all that negotiating, and he's not going to throw uh, you know, his grandmother into the deal just to get it across the line. Well, maybe he would, because on TV he said that there'd be no compensation for any vaccine-injured people. He said mm. no. So I don't know about that. I think he's coming into himself a little bit, and I've been relieved to see this because I I uh, noticed as um, we got closer to the election, it looked like he was going to more likely that he was going to be successful. He got a lot more authoritarian sounding, but he's a corporate guy, you know. After, in, I think the night of the election, I heard him say, "You know, I, I was flying uh, between cities at one point. I was just looking out the window, and it was all black. There's no darkness, and there was just the occasional little light." Um, which was a farmhouse, and I thought about the people uh, living oh, in there. Oh, golly, really, and, Marty, you're, you're getting too well, soft, mate. Well, you know, like you, you <laughs> didn't hear a lot about his inner life, and uh, and you know, I, I thought I know how to was, get to you, mate. Well, it's interesting to hear, and the more he talks about it, I guess that maybe. But if you know corporate people, they substitute their own identity for the corporate identity. That's what they do. They're like real good corporate people. They do it so you're not even sure what's going on inside them. I had a Maori mate say to me once, oh, you should let your hair and your beard grow because when you have no hair, it looks like you've got no inner life. Okay, well, remember that. I think maybe that's that. the problem we've got with them. I think the um, interesting party to watch this um, coming term is going to be the Greens because you look at the new, they've got quite a few new fresh MPs that are coming in and they look less woke <laughs> activist and more climate-focused. So I think there could be some good internal rumblings in there and not many men, right? Poor old James Shaw. I don't know if you saw him standing next to Marta Davidson when she was doing her rant like she'd won the US election. Mm -hmm. that, you know, he just, he was standing there visibly uncomfortable. He looked a bit scared of her and he should be. Yeah. That angry little satellite dish He's a face. cis white male. I was just about right. to say that, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so they're going to be, I think they're going to be interesting to watch how they deal with that because yeah, some of, I, I did some research on the new MPs and they don't look like they're focused on the woke stuff. Well, they climate really, is woke, right? Yeah, that, yeah, well, yeah, it's not like the gender identity stuff and all of, the, you know, they, yeah, climate, I don't agree with the whole climate, their whole climate change rhetoric at all. But I think, you know, it's, it's better for New Zealand if they, if they get back to just being climate focused, they'll probably. Just being get, hippies like they yeah. used to be. Yeah, yeah, like focus on clean rivers. Clean like rivers, clean lakes. Yep. Can we talk about the minor parties? Yeah, let's. Well, I was going to. <laughs> now you brought it up. <laughs> well, I know a lot of the listeners are, you know, may were following those with interest. They sure eh? were. Yep. Um, unfortunately, it was a brutal reality. Um, New Zealand Loyal got 1.15%, 26,000 votes. New Zealand got 0.56, Freedoms NZ got 0.31%, Democracy NZ 0.24%, New Conservatives 0.15%. But I did a bit of an analysis just based on what happened last time. Uh, and one thing that really interested me was that New Zealand Loyal's vote was 26,000 
Uh, and it's basically equivalent to what Advanced New Zealand got in the last election. Now, I thought, who's Advanced New Zealand? I looked it up, and of course, I was reminded that it was Billy TK's party and Jamie Lee Ross. Right. So it's almost as though the constituency of Billy they TK jump. and Jamie Lee Ross has jumped to Liz Gunn. Um, New Zeal, which was previously one, they increased uh, from 8,000 to 12,000. So that was an improvement. Freedoms NZ, uh, which is Brian and um, Sue. Sue Gray, yep. Yep, they got 7,000 votes, which is actually slightly less than what Vision NZ and Outdoors Party got combined in 2020. So, What, what went wrong there, I wonder? Well, I just think they're preaching to just the same group, and they're right. only capturing the same group. There just doesn't seem to be organic growth. Um, and the new conservative vote absolutely crashed it was forty two and a half thousand in the last election and it was only three and a half thousand and most of that vote i think would have gone to new zealand first or national um so yeah it was it's a um, bit of a day of reckoning it's it's a brutal you know as i say it's a brutal sport it doesn't matter you know there was a lot of chatter on um social media I think New Zealand Oil was saying they were going to get a million votes. But doesn't translate, right? It doesn't translate. I mean, you've you've got to have confidence and self-belief to even get into it in the first place, but you've also got to have a um, definite big spoonful of realism as well because it is a brutal sport. It, it shows just – I mean, when you think about just how strong the campaign of New Zealand First has been and the amount of media coverage they have got – all negative, by the way, but uh, media coverage – uh, you know, it's amazing that still they could only just get to above 6%. That's how hard that 5% threshold is. Just one more point before you guys comment is um, I there was uh, TV1 did a two-minute um, review of all their election coverage, and the spin-off did a two-minute review as well. So they copied each other, different okay. videos, yeah. uh, and in both of them, they missed out one leader. They covered every leader but they missed out one leader. Guess which one? Winston. Yeah. Yeah. That's Seriously? Incredible. And, and yet they gave him more media coverage. Negative I know. They didn't, want to talk about, they didn't want to talk about him in case he got back in. It, it's farcical, <laughs> isn't it? It's just farcical. It was amazing. I, I mean, I just fascinated. Not because I'm saying that Winston should get the media coverage, but I'm just amazed by how they, they treat him. They've got it's, – it's Winston derangement syndrome. Well, well, it's called the memory hole, isn't it? You just put it down the memory hole. It's gone. Okay. Oh, well, he's he's not going to be forgotten, though, is he? Wouldn't it be great if he got Minister of Broadcasting? <laughs> I wondered whether I wondered whether his uh, you know kind of threat to Jack Tame um, was a factor in the, that last week's pile on in the media. I mean, we we went to when Maria and I were going over the papers for the week. Last in last week's show, it was basically the same article written about thirty times hmm. by everyone. It was just in lockstep. Um, he, he said it was a promise, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that's what he told Jack Tame. It, it's a promise. Um, speaking of the small parties, if there was any election that you would have thought they would have done better, would have been this one. I, I would have thought anyway. Yeah, but it's always a challenge. That 5% threshold makes it just really impossible for them to get up and running, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, you, you No, but to... even, even if you don't get to the 5%, just the numbers that, Bob, you just read out, you know, some of them are very low. 
Yeah, but I, I think that's because these are right-leaning parties, so their opportunity is going to come when people are a bit dissatisfied with National, but they don't want to go to Labour. Uh, go to, that's that's yeah. their big opportunity. I mean, there was that point probably about a month out from the election where the, the minor parties were at the maximum power, really, they, and they could have said, well, look, here are some bottom lines. Uh, if we fold our team, I mean, new Conservatives probably should have done that. I think Helen Houghton wanted to and saw the logic in doing so, but I think was blocked because there are always stalwarts within a party that's been around a while that have put in all that work and there's no way they want to um, want to just fold the tent. Hmm. What about the inquiry that, um, I don't want to be Winston fixated, but it's one of the things that our audience is particularly interested in, this inquiry into COVID. Do you think, how's he going to handle that, do you think? I mean, if he's got a... To see Shane Jones uh, bring that up as something that they were interested in above all else, you know, that that was what he he said. And, I mean, I I was checking with um, our world and data, and New Zealand's excess deaths are up 16% as at August, which is the most up-to-date data. Um, I spoke to a um, mate of mine who's a surgeon who got mandated out and said, you know, what... What, what do you think need to be in the terms of reference? Because, um, and he he said we need to have death rates and hospitalisation rates by vaccine status examined, uh, disease rates by vaccine status, miscarriage and spontaneous abortion rates by vaccine status. Um, and he said they have everyone's vaccine status in a central register. You know they so looked not, up. Not there, hard wrote, to get that data, right? That, that data is available. No, it's not. It's yeah. all there. All diagnoses, you know, are caught in public hospital system, and they're recorded by against NHI numbers. So they have the data. They're just sitting on it, and um, you know that that just you know that's a pinch point, and and we should just be hammering and say why won't you, why won't you do, why won't you release that. I, I hope that's that one of the one thing that that New Zealand first do get out of whatever agreement they make with the new government. I think this is a really good one. It would be like Winston's new wine box inquiry, right? It's something yeah. that would keep Labour negatively in the news for the next two or three years because it'll take that long to hammer out and it'll keep Winston in the news. But also, like, we need it as a country because if we don't learn the lessons from the mistakes we made, we'll make them again. Mm. Was that blurring between true and false? And I'm very fond of giving, <laughs> busting out Hannah Arendt quotes, who, who of course wrote about how people could be pivoted from being ordinary people to Nazis shooting children in the back of the head. And um, you know, one of her quotes that that always strikes me in contrast with what's gone on in New Zealand is the ideal subject of totalitarian rule is not the convinced Nazi or the dedicated communist, but people for whom the distinction between fact and fiction, true and false, no longer exist. And I thought about that when when Grant Robertson said, well, we saved 20,000 lives. And I was like, well, where's the 16% increase in excess deaths coming from? Pork chop. Mm -hmm. And why why is St. John's reporting 63,000 extra yeah, call-outs you, you in were the saying last that suicides were down. Thousand, man. Yeah, while St John's was saying that call-outs to suicide attempts were up thirty percent, and it's this casual allowing lies to just <laughs> manifest. Yeah, it makes yeah. you wonder what National and Act would have to lose to include that as part of an agreement if they come to that kind of coalition agreement. You know, if Winston was to make it a bottom line, 
I, I, I can't quite, I mean, it might show Acton National as being immature when it came to the parliamentary protest and not being willing to engage. But apart from that, I mean, um, you know, some of the noises coming out of if some of the national MPs, so I was thinking of Simon O'Connor actually, uh, were good. Um, and also, um, you know, in fairness, David Seymour did receive our petition, the Don't Divide Us petition, which was talking about um, rapid antigen testing as an alternative. So, uh, yeah, I, I still can't figure out why they wouldn't be open to an inquiry. It was such a major blight on the country. And uh, if anything, it, it shows that the previous government was out of touch and overreached. It, I don't think it shows that they have. So, yeah, I don't, I don't see why it's not a win-win for them. There are plenty of quotes that they uh, busted out around that time. about. Yeah, true, true. You know, that, Mind you, you can say that that was the information we had at the time. They yeah. weren't actually calling the shots, and we're only going on what information we had. Information changes, so positions change. You can, you, you can kind of occupy that territory. Politicians are always wary of self-examination. Yeah, there's never <laughs> going to be why. a better time to do it for them. <laughs> yeah. Accountability is a killer. Yeah. All right. Well, we're coming up against time. Um, any any final thoughts on what we experienced over over the weekend? I'm. I'm. You know, my wife said she was surprised at how happy. She was uh, okay. at the election result. And I think a lot of people are going to be feeling a weight lifted off them. And and hopefully, you know, we can just start, uh, as I said, doing those things to untangle those tentacles of government that, that's, that have been thrust between us and our fellow citizens, maybe start working on some approaches to build community resilience and do things for ourselves. Stop thinking about government for a change. You know, when you move into a new house, it's always kind of fresh. You know, everything seems um, unique and new. Uh, the thing that I'm really going to be interested to watch is just how much of a honeymoon the media gives uh, national. You know, at the moment, they're all buddy-buddy. Congratulations, Christopher. Um, you know, and uh, rolling on from the results of the election. They'll be sitting around for two weeks to see the, the uh, final outcome. Uh, but then I suspect that the honeymoon is going to be over and it's going to be all go uh, in terms of the media. Yeah, but they've got to think of the funding, Bob. They've got to think of the funding. Well, that's, I mean, that is a real concern. Uh, and if you look at, um, I noticed that um, uh, MediaWorks is just, um, you know, there's been some disastrous results out of there. Um, I mean, the the mainstream media is in a real financial pickle because of the changing landscape, the declining trust, and uh, you know, gee, it's not a it's not a happy industry to be in at the moment. It is here. I, I love working fast. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. I <laughs> supplement happy. my media hobby with some carpet cleaning, and I make olive oil, and uh, <laughs> I, I get to tell the truth. I'm know? talking about the legacy media. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I saw the national radio's funding uh, is being increased by 27 million or something. Imagine what RCR could do with just five percent of that funding increase. We're already better in content than they are. Mm. Yeah. That might not last too long, that extra funding, if um, David Seymour's wanting to peg back the public service. Mm. Mm. Yeah, look, I agree with Marty. I feel like a weight's been lifted, and I'm feeling quite positive about the future. What's going to be interesting, I think, over the next few weeks is to see which way the special votes go. 
but traditionally they've always gone the left's way, but I don't know if that'll be the case this time. I think it'll they'll just continue the results that we've seen at the election. So, yeah, no, I, I think it's going to be positive, but it's going to be hard work for this for this government. It's I would not- just like to pay tribute to Chris Hipkins in a sort of a backward fashion is that I think he received what we call in sport a hospital pass he was given the leadership of a party which um, the previous leader who had already seen was on the decline. I don't know if he'd called a snap election whether he would have won because the only thing Jacinda was um, completely uh, smart at was actually predicting that um, they were going to get thrashed in this election and that's why she got out. I mean, she read the tea leaves um, and Chris Hopkins inherited a party. Well, he was part of it, Bob. He was right there. Exactly. Exactly. You know, he, and so he would have had to player. stand up on the reputation of the previous leader. Um, he had a cabinet which self-imploded. His little know. sausage roll grease fingers were all over that stuff. And What's wrong with sausage rolls? I love them. <laughs> it's a long way to the top if you yeah. what is it to the dairy if you want a sausage roll. It's a long way to the shop if you want a sausage roll. <laughs> That's right. Can't beat a sausage roll. And who's Tony? Who's Tony? Oh, I thought the interesting, the hilarious part was everyone was trying to figure out if it was female or male. <laughs> and we wonder if Chris even knows. <laughs> was it a Tony with an I or a Y? Oh, no, it's a woman. Ex press secretary, as I understand it. Oh, it's so. Insula. <laughs> cliche. Anyway. All right, guys. Well, thanks I for his, coming. Thanks I, for I, coming. I just want to say I liked his um, tribute to family. Always good to recognise family because being a politician is is tough for families. I know that right. for a fact. Yeah. It's at the bottom of the list. Mm. Don't forget to recognise family. Yeah. Well okay. Thanks, Paul. Right. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Bob McCroskey. Thank you, uh, Roe Edge. And thank you, Marty Gibson, for joining us this morning. Fantastic. Thanks, Paul. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.